Hello and welcome to Joe's Gone Canon, A Song of Ice and Fire, episode 111, Davos 4 in a Storm of Swords, featuring our friend Quinn Howard of Quinn's Ideas and the author of Tadia. I am one of your hosts, Chloe. And I am another one of your hosts, Eliana. And yes, I'm so excited that Quinn is here to join us for our episode 111. Oh my god, 111. <laughs> hey Quinn, thanks so much for coming on with us today. How are ya? I'm doing pretty good. It's exciting to be here again. It's been a long time. How long has it been? Like two years? Yeah, it's been like it's two or three years. I don't know. I don't know how time works. Yeah, time is not a concept <laughs> that I acknowledge. Uh, it's not real anymore. It's no. not. Especially with the wait for stuff like Dune, as I know you and I are very excited for. It's We're sitting so here during excited. quarantine waiting for Dune. It's next year, October. On our couches, though. I guess it's October. Mm-hmm. Like it's, I don't know. I guess it's October. That's true. I feel like they That's might true. move it up. Who knows? Who knows? The world is a, is a weird place right now. Weird things are Absolutely. happening. Grayscale is on the sure. loose. Yeah, that's true. We can't tell for sure in our fires, or we might just be misreading some of those yeah. signs. Yeah, all I see is snow. So I don't know about you guys. <laughs> Well, if you're not familiar with any of Quinn's work, you have to check out his YouTube channel. Uh, He covers a lot of stuff, anything from HP Lovecraft to Dune, lots of sci-fi. You're watching Star Wars right now. I'm watching Star Wars. This is the first time. For the first time, yeah, and it's really exciting. I've been surrounded by people that love Star Wars my whole life, and they've always been like, watch Star Wars, watch Star Wars. And I'm like, no, I like Dune. But now I'm giving Star Wars a try, and it's really exciting, and it's fun to like go back and watch all the movies, and I'm going to watch all the shows, too, and it's going to be fun. And also, like you mentioned a little bit, like one of the more exciting things I'm doing right now for me is I'm covering more HP Lovecraft, and I did my Halloween special, Call of Cthulhu, and I had a lot of fun with that, and I got to dress up and you know play a bunch of cult members. It was super exciting. <laughs> oh, that's so fun. I will definitely link that above. I know the the true horror of the great old ones. It was a really well-produced video. It was really fun. I, mm-hmm. I love H.P. Lovecraft, and I always love whenever you dive into the deep ones. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess the biggest thing, and obviously I'm excited about you watching Knock Off Doom for the first time. That's always fun, right? The ancient <laughs> Jedi text prepared you for it. But I'm really most excited about your graphic novel that you've been working on, Tadia, and what can you tell us, the people, about it? Tadia. So this is basically the most exciting thing that I've ever done in my life, ever. <laughs> I'm finally getting to tell this story about witches and persecution and horror that's kind of been in my mind for a really long time, and it's a graphic novel. It's going to be now 80 pages, which I like just Ooh. kind of discovered. So that's exciting. It's beautifully drawn by Matthew Walden and colored by Jean-Francois Belliot. I've got like two variant covers, and it's still on sale right now, but it will only be for a couple more weeks before we finally have to cut it off, and then we have to, we're moving into the production stage. It's almost completely finished being drawn, and that's super exciting. But yeah, I'm just so incredibly excited. Um, it's like a little bit of Lovecraft, a little bit of George R. R. Martin in there, Neil Gaiman, and then a little bit of Wizard of Oz and Alice in Wonderland, all wrapped hmm. into one. It's exciting. Yeah, I'm super excited about it. I've been looking forward to getting my copy, and you know, I will be patient. I'm I'm used to waiting mm-hmm. for the books that I uh, anticipate, and so it sounds like uh, you were telling us behind the scenes a little bit inspired by The Sims. 
Absolutely. Because well. <laughs> I love The Sims. I'm a Sims fanatic. I have a secret Sims YouTube channel that like some people know about that it's here. Yeah. So I'm kind of a Sims fanatic. I love The Sims. And I play these witch storylines. And it's been really exciting ever since they came out with the magic pack. So I like play like little witch storylines. And Toddy, uh, certain aspects of it were certainly born from my storytelling in The Sims. <laughs> For sure. You got to <laughs> do your gardening in there. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a fun little playground. Well, we'll definitely be linking to your website, which is quinnhoward.net, but also to the Indiegogo. If you search on Indiegogo for projects, you should find Tadia on there, and we'll leave some links in the description. And uh, hopefully you can still buy a quick copy of it just in time. Just in time. And that's T-A-D-H-Y-A for Tadia on Indiegogo. Well, we're so excited to have you join us, Quinn. And we are going to talk really quickly about some housekeeping, our holiday schedule, and our Patreon episode. We will be announcing that as well. So as we get near the holidays in December and quite a crazy month here in 2020, uh, we have a little bit of a holiday schedule going on because, look, we're going to be honest, we're putting out a lot of content right now and... Mom's got to take Christmas, you know? Mom's got to have some Christmas time. So this will be our last Davos episode until 2021. When we come back from the break, we will be announcing our next schedule for Davos coming out, and we'll get right back to it with the rest of his story in A Storm of Swords, moving on to A Dance with Dragons, and then, of course, to a brand new shiny POV that you will find out about soon enough. In the meantime, you will hear our weekly review episodes of His Dark Materials, the TV series airing on BBC HBO. You can check those out mostly on Mondays. We'll have a special guest for the finale, so stay tuned for that. We'll be announcing it soon. And, Eliana, why don't you tell them about our Patreon episode this month for patrons in the Stranger Tier and above? Yeah, so we are closing off the year in style over on Patreon. As you all know, we have episodes for our $5 and up patrons, and alternate between a Song of Ice and Fire episodes and His Dark Materials episodes, and this month is a His Dark Materials episode, and this time we're going to do an episode that is focused on the show, and we are going to cover the music of His Dark Materials. As you all know, we love the opening credits, but there's a lot of other amazing music, and we are going to be joined by Matt and Holly from The Dust Podcast. Yay! Yeah, and they are experts on this, so I'm super excited to go through this with them and we'll we'll give you all a date on that of course yes to be announced to the for end. that mm -hmm. and we have one more fun patreon activity where we are going to be doing our discord brunch and slash happy hour in which we are going to be doing you know we we've decided that we really like the format last time of doing this sort of powerpoint potluck and this time we are going to be inviting people to do uh, that again and this time around the theme of the gift whatever people think the gift is you know maybe you think it's Tyrion, maybe you think it's mercy maybe you think it's that area very close to the wall right or anything else and this is open to our patrons who are in the thunder tier and above ten dollars and up patrons get access to the discord yeah and if you're not able to make it for brunch on the 19th on that saturday it'll be from 3 to 5 p.m eastern time if you're not able to make it no sweat but we would still love to have you as part of the server so feel free to come on over and hang out we talk a lot about food and pets lots of animal photos happening there so 
And I guess some stuff like A Song of Ice and Fire and His Dark Materials, too. But the important stuff. Yes. So that's it for housekeeping. Yeah, and now we can get ready to jump into the episode with Quinn. Quinn, this is how it works here. We do a lightning round. It's a quick blip. Mm-hmm. Eliana loves them. They really surprise her. She does not read them on purpose because sometimes I give her the worst things to say. And she goes, what the fuck, Chloe, halfway through. So keep that in mind. Uh, you are brave for reading them. This lightning round is a quick summary. We're going to skip Arya, Sansa, and Sam. We'll come back to them another time. We're going to keep it brief and start off with John 3 in A Storm of Swords. John must part from ghosts to prove himself to the free folk and prove himself to Egret. Daenerys 3. To go north, you must journey south. To reach the west, you must go east. To go forward, you must go back. And to touch the light, you must pass beneath the shadow. John 4. The expedition fails to find the Horn of Jorman. Jamie 4. Lost in his past, Jamie tries to save Brienne as best he can. They arrive at Harrenhal, where they're presented to Bruce Bolton. Tyrion 4. Tyrion makes arrangements for Simeon Silvertongue. Tywin commands Tyrion to serve his family legacy. Tyrion plays politics with the Night's Watch. Catelyn 4. Hoster Tully passes away. Between Dusk and Dell and Winterfell's burning, King Rob's campaign loses a whole lot of hope in one night. That brings us into the overview of Davos 4 in A Storm of Swords. Davos climbs the molten steps of Dragonstone until he reaches a lordship and is promoted with a handjob, and I am so sorry because I am four. <laughs> Axel Florent and four guardsmen come down to the dungeons, and Alistair is like, Celeste must have sent for me to be freed! Stan has sent for me, but no, they're not here for Alistair Florent. They're here for Davos? Davos asks Axel if he means to burn him, but all he says is that he was sent for. Through Alistair, we start setting the stage for what, you know, family owes one another and blood and the prospect of family turning against one another so fiercely because he's wondering here, like, will Celise actually let me, like, rot here? Will she actually kill me? But turns out uh, it's his brother who's going to end up doing it, more or less. And this begins raising the questions that Davos is afraid to bring to mind later uh, as throughout this chapter as he wonders why Stannis won't say Edric's name. I feel like there's a statement there that's being made about fanaticism. Like, mm. it'll, you'll turn your back on your family. Like, if you truly believe in the power of this thing or in this God, you're willing to do horrible, horrible things. And I think that's the key theme or one of the key things surrounding Stannis' entire arc. And also Melisandre. Yeah, absolutely. Especially when you look at Axel here, right? Because in the last mm. chapter, even Melisandre, who is so misunderstood as we have discussed in depth before with you, but Melisandre here even had left that torch for Davos, and Axel took the torch mm-hmm. away. He t- told the jailer, take it away, leave leave him in the darkness, and bring Davos. And we have Alistair just begging for mercy, and he, he begs for mercy from the gods. Not, not from God, from the gods. It reminds me of almost like Scientology. Like if you have like someone <sighs> huh. that escapes the cult... Their families will like turn their backs on them and be like really mean. They do this thing where they'll like kind of like excommunicate them. And like, so it reminds me so much of this. It's like, you know, you deserve even worse uh, because I'm taking the torch. It's very cruel. Yeah, especially for someone faithful, what that says for them, right? Because they believe in just light of the world and that shadows, you know, created from it are one thing, but the darkness, the Lord of Darkness is coming for you. I shall and- leave you to the great other. <laughs> yes. 
gods, there is only one R'hllor and the other. Sir Axel gestured sharply, and one of his guardsmen pulled the torch from its sconce and led the way to the stair. So now Davos is now a little worried, right? He asks if he's being taken to Melisandre, but turns out it's actually Stannis who's summoning him, and Davos absently touches the space where his finger bones would be, but those are now gone. He thinks that his fingers are still long enough to strangle Melisandre's slender throat. Real wholesome, real wholesome. Um, <laughs> and I think it's an interesting gesture for Davos to reach up and, and find those finger bones again, and that sets the stage for a lot of the other things that are going to come up in this chapter in regards to Stannis' yeah. justice and the price of duty. It's not just his fingers and his luck, but his sons who were burned. Okay, already getting slightly off the topic, but not really. I think it's super interesting that right as he reaches for his finger bones, he thinks about Melisandre. Because if you remember mm -hmm. that Melisandre chapter in Dance, she thinks to herself the things that she could use to glamour. And one of the specific things that she says just randomly is a bag of finger bones. And I think, why does she say that? You know what I mean? We're being shown specifically that she has the power to glamour people using something that belongs to them. And bones and blood are the most powerful. And then we have Davos, who's mysteriously lost his bag of finger bones after the green inferno. My crackpot theory is that Melisandre has those finger bones and that someone else might be walking around as Davos or something like that. But anyway. I could see where it could serve. You know what That's I mean? Weird. Like, especially in the camp. Because the thing is, is he is gone right now. He's not at camp in modern Aeswath, mm -hmm. where we are at the most recent timeline. He's gone trying to find Rickon. And so Davos, what if, and I don't know if I believe it'll happen, right? Because George is supposed to get it done in the next two books. We all know <laughs> our beliefs on that. But I don't know if we'll have time for it to happen, but maybe Stannis needs the push and maybe it's Davos coming back, but not actually him. We've seen her do it with the Lord of Bones. You could be She's honest. Done something. it. I mean, <laughs> I, I feel like George R. R. Martin is super subtle. So I always like to pay attention when he like points to something over and over again. I think finger bones, Melisandre, and then Melisandre thinks finger bones. And I'm like, hmm, is there something there? Maybe not. <laughs> I know that um, this is also slightly off topic, but some people uh, have said that they think it's a red herring and that they think it's uh, about the dead man's boots. Mm. And then Arya will use it in regards to uh, Darien. Darien. Yeah, the singer. But I don't know. George does love his red herrings. He does. He does. So I think it could be any of those things. And yeah, the finger bones coming up again. It seems like such a such a very unique object mm -hmm. to not come back. Yeah. And the fact that she references that directly and just instead of just saying, or oh, just random bones. It's like, whoa, why did you say that? Where are those <laughs> finger bones is the question. Yeah, you finger know, bones are not random. <laughs> interestingly enough, there's other language here that's surprising to me, because in the last chapter, he talked about her slender fingers, like he was paying mm. attention to her fingers being slender, and here, he thinks about strangling her slender throat, which I was like, is every, I mean, I guess everything about her is slender, right? Like, mm -hmm. she's very slim, is her whole thing, but it was just interesting to me that last chapter, it was the fingers, today it's the throat. He's kind of alternating. He's obsessed. <laughs> A little bit. A little they climb upwards into Dragonstone as they take Davos up. The stone is becoming cooler as they rise. If you remember, it was warmer in the last chapter. And finally, he comes to the surface, but he's still not finding sunlight. And last chapter, we kind of mentioned how Davos 3 had a little bit of the underworld vibes, right? But a little odd. Uh, this climbing for Davos is both figurative and literal. After the Hellfire of Blackwater, he found himself below the ground in the underworld in this warm, stony prison, recovering to be rebirthed. 
we have a lot of those Hades as Stannis vibes with infertility, right? Unable to bear an heir. Mm. And Robert kind of as Zeus as this thunderous lightning, vengeance-filled god. But the Persephone parallel doesn't really work perfectly. We'll talk about it in a bit. But her daughter Melano does remind me a little bit of Melisandre. But back to Davos. He's climbing upwards in this chapter, as I said, both literally and figuratively to a new station. There's something in the way that below the ground, without responsibility, it was a warm place that nurtured Davos, a place that healed him. But as he's leaving the underworld and going upstairs to accept this responsibility from Stannis, it's colder. He's coming to this cold world that isn't as nurturing without beautiful, gorgeous meals being brought to him and the warm stone healing his cough. Shouldn't being reborn as a great lord feel much warmer than this? He was getting pretty good food. I mean, what's wrong here? Why does it feel so bad? I don't know. I don't know. Because Stannis isn't the right one. Stannis is the blue-eyed king that casts no shadow for a reason. No fruits will bear from his efforts. He will die and be forgotten. That's the thing about Stannis. That's the tragedy of Stannis. And so Davos is feeling cold because he's marching towards nothing, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's what I think. That's the way I see that. No, absolutely. That's That's... Probably valid and the only <clears throat> correct way to look at the story, but you know, it is what it is. <laughs> he's the one who closes his own line, too, right? There's no fruits because mm-hmm. he's the one who he literally burns them all. He refuses to plant trees. Mm-hmm. Wow. You know, oh, that, he's burning the trees. That's the thing. So Melisandre has to hit a breaking point where she realizes that the mm-hmm. way she sees the world isn't fully accurate. Stannis has never been able to adapt to anything, you know? He's so rigid. And it's like, it's it's a perfect, one of the lines from the show, when Danny says, what happens to things that don't break? It's Stannis. They snap. Exactly. He's he's not willing to bend. You know, mm-hmm. it's like what Rinley says, and no one wants you for their king. You're too rigid, and you're too, like, set in your ways, and you can't really see things as they really are, because you're too blocked into your own vision of things. And that's the trap that Melisandre has to free herself from. To free yourself from the trap of her own vision, I mean. Sorry. <laughs> It'll be interesting for Melisandre in that, like, I, you know, we don't really know how old she is. So mm-hmm. for her to free herself, I mean, that's not just like Stannis being, what, 30-something, right? And, and freeing himself from that vision. That's like someone really, really interrogating potentially centuries of, mm-hmm. of this belief system that they've been in. So Absolutely. Wow, talk about an age gap, right? No, I'm just kidding. Sorry, just thought it would break the tension. <laughs> oh my god. Yes, Do you yes. think Melisandre is exploiting Stan? Actually, yeah, but we won't get into that. Uh, she doesn't know better. She thinks it is. Her fire say so in what she sees. She needs some contacts, girl. She's convinced. I've al- She's so convinced that I always wonder, like, did someone, like, tell her that Stannis was the one? Mm. Why is she so convinced to the point where she's seeing the truth and not seeing it? It's interesting. Hey, Mary's heard voices, right? Yeah. Something speaks from the flames. And we know that power can be transferred because she sees... Bloodraven in the I know I'm skipping several chapters ahead, but she sees Bloodraven <laughs> and, and, and 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 Bran and it almost like messes up her glamour and she feels it and it sh- and she shivers and she starts bleeding yeah. that black blood that's smoking almost as though her power was faltering and he looks up and she says he sees me she felt him see her so if he can affect her through the flame then I imagine that yeah. other players yeah. can as well. There comes another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Well, Davos' legs are aching as he is brought to the stone drum, where he is reliving the scent of salt water, suddenly filling his nostrils and wind in his lungs, and he prays for strength from them, the gods he believes in, while the queen's men below dance and sing at their night fires. Axel pauses mid-bridge, motioning his men to leave them to privacy, and he basically calls Davos a traitor, tells him if it was my way, you'd be burnt, so would Alistair. Davos is like, I would never betray King Stannis. Okay. But Alistair says he's seen it in his flames. Or sorry, Axel says that he's seen it in his flames. Stannis will sit the throne and I will become his hand. Not wrong. I mean, I'm just saying maybe Axel knows what he's going on here. And Davos, in order to make this prophecy come true, says Axel, will go to Stannis and tell him as much. And the literal thought that Davos has, which I appreciate so much, is, will I? Davos said nothing. Will he though? <laughs> okay, yeah. I just want to say screw you, George R. Martin, for all these A names and saying, right. like, I know. why are you doing this to us? He's just so, such a monster. But <laughs> uh, it's like, I, I I do sometimes confuse the Alistair and Axel. I'm like, wait, hold on, which one's which? And Alistair's the hot one. I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm, I'm starting to remember Axel. I'm like, Axel's an asshole. Yeah. Uh, Maybe if I do it like that, it'll it'll stick. But I love the way George plays with prophecy here. Yes. Like, it's so good. You will betray Stannis. I mean, I, I mean, I just love it. I love it. Do you think that Axel can really see anything in the flames? I don't know. See, that's that's always the thing with George R. R. Martin. How much of it is like, maybe to some extent. I mean, I, I don't know. Or maybe he's just taunting Davos. I don't know. If I honestly just say I don't know. I think it's yeah. one of those funny both things. I see that character as a character that more so than anything just kind of like wants power. Because Melisandre mm-hmm. talks about seeing in the flames as an art. And it takes practice. I, I would assume that it's not like how it is in the freaking show where just like anybody can just look in the flame and just see a bunch of stuff. I, I, it takes skill to interpret what you're seeing. It's like any art. It's like it's like tarot or like tossing stones. It takes skill to to do divination. It takes practice mm-hmm. to do accurate divination. So maybe he's full of shit, or maybe he's just got like some latent ability, and it's I don't know. Maybe he did see something. I don't know. Anyone can see things. It's mm-hmm. interpreting, like you said. So Absolutely. I think he could totally see stuff, and I think. I mean, as we've read, A Storm of Swords, A Feast for Crows, A Dance with Dragons, even Cersei's right once in a while. So, mm-hmm. I mean, what if this is just really ironically super right? Like, mm-hmm. what if he's like, you will betray Stannis, and he's not. I'm gonna be his. I'm gonna be his hand. He's king. I'm gonna be his hand. He is hand. I mm-hmm. mean, he is right in part of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Davos is away from him. At- mm-hmm. Yeah. That that is something that I wonder, you know, if if it's like something that he's actually seeing because he wants to see it and is using it for his power, because Axel absolutely seems like that. We see that in the later dance chapters that he's using religion, you know, as you were saying, fanaticism, but he's using it for his own purposes and power, Absolutely. which is uh, quite contrasted to an extent with Alistair, who's like, what can I do so like everyone doesn't fucking die? Um <laughs> Even though he doesn't make like the right call, obviously, mm-hmm. but uh, that and I'm just like, or can because I wonder like if Axel can see into the flames, and that's like a sort of thing that's like, just because you're a shitbag doesn't mean that you don't get some like magical power. Absolutely, you're too. on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Yeah, there's dark wizards. <laughs> of course, <laughs> exactly. 
but mm-hmm. Axel's like, I don't know, not a wizard, just... He's just an asshole. <laughs> yeah. He's annoying. <laughs> yes. Number one asshole. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so while Davos is out, part of that assholeness is Axel drummed up support from Solis and also from Salador, and he's like, you know, Davos, if you're loyal and devoted, you will join your voice to ours, and if he does so... He's like, Davos, I'm going to give you a brand new ship. That's what everyone wants, a company car ship. (laughs) (laughs) And Davos thinks, like, I think that this guy would rather give me to the pyre than give me a brand new ship. I think you're right, Davos. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I'll do this thing. (laughs) It's one thing for him. And there's this line here uh, when when Axel is describing how Stannis is right now that kind of reminds me of something that Chloe called out in the last chapter about the language of worms, and Melisandre had asked Davos if his heart was full of worms, and Axel describes Stannis as the defeat gnaws inside him, a black worm in his soul, which is interesting, because Chloe, you were talking about Robert as the king of worms. Yes, that line about him, what happens, you know, what happens when worms take over your soul? I don't know, even Robert succumbed. I'm just saying. I'm, I'm not saying, but I'm saying. <laughs> black worm in his soul, you know, that just gives <laughs> me... Speak. Symbols of corruption and decay and something that is dying. You know, all the, all of these Stannis symbols, it's just like he's going in the wrong direction. He really is. Even if you think about Blackwater, how he just led all those people to their deaths. Anyone that follows exactly. Stannis marches to their death. Everyone's in the snow just dying. <laughs> yeah, That's literally what's happening right now. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Everyone could just put on some fucking snowshoes and like maybe they'd be okay, but nope, <laughs> nope, nope. You know, another part of it that feels really prominent now, and maybe this is especially after Fire and Blood, but it's the preaching Clash of Kings that is preaching about how Joffrey is the spawn of evil and abomination, and also the preacher in Fire and Blood, right, preaching about mm-hmm. the Targaryens mm. being abominations and incest being abominations, and. Uh, it's funny because he put that call out about all the incest in King's Landing, but he still has that worm in his own soul. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just incest. It's not. Yeah. This does turn to threats quickly, right? Because if Davos betrays Axel Florent, Axel may not be able to burn him, but he'll definitely make sure that Davos has a quick fall. You know, a nice long trip, if you will. And the garrison is Axel's. He's been castling here for a very long time. He shoves Davos against the bridge, forcing his face out in the yard and is like, do you hear me? And Davos thinks, can you dare name me a traitor? Eventually, they reach the chamber of the painted table where Stannis is standing next to the carved map of Westeros, an iron brazier lit glowing next to the king. He wears a gray tunic, a dark red mantle, and a black leather belt, sword, and dagger that hangs at his side, and his crown is red gold with flame-shaped points. It's atop his head, but he seems about a decade older than he was right when he was at Blackwater Bay right before he started the entire battle. He seems like, think like Obama and George W. Bush after office. They looked really effing old. Like, they looked old, Mm -hmm. but they they looked old, you know, like. Yeah. That's not just stress. That is the toll of what Melisandre is doing to him. See, here's the thing about Melisandre is that she can do magic and she she has these skills, but I don't know if she really fully understands what she's doing all the time. You know, it, we, we, we know that she's learned shadow binding in the East and she's she's done all this stuff. 
But I also, especially from that Dance with Dragons chapter, I get the sense that she's just kind of like faking it most of the time. She's like, I kind of know what's up, but then I kind of don't. And I'm putting on an image as I'm more skilled than I really, really say I am. So here we have Melisandre taking a part of Stannis's soul to conjure a shadow that's going out and doing her bidding and taking lives. I can only imagine that that, that has a tremendous price. This is Stannis' shadow that she's conjuring and sending out into the night. So George R. Martin is usually very, he's always been very, very clear that magic is costly. So when I see Stannis looking like this withered, aged king, that's what I see. I see someone that's being drained. And I think of that scene from the show where she looks at him and she says, your fires burn low, my king. And who has drained them? Oh, but yeah, there we go. <laughs> your fires burn low, my king. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's just my little thing. No, that's a great point, especially when you think about, I mean, when Lady Stoneheart comes back in full mm-hmm. swing, what happens? Death pays for life. Absolutely. And he looks like death, like the bones move beneath his skin like spears fighting to cut free are the exact words about it. And he's lost about 30 pounds. His beard Damn. is graying. Yeah, not great. Not great. We can just like fuck ourselves to losing weight, but... <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah no i think it's absolutely it's it's what you're saying and what quinn's saying you know melisandre seems to be taking on a sort of like channeling this idea of a succubus right in terms of uh what's happening to stannis and that is certainly the archetype yeah and that's what davos is seeing we raise questions about this in terms of stannis's fires burning low are there men whose fires like burn hotter and they're they have more to give in terms of giving shadows, and now the mechanics of the male orgasm and circumstances around creating a shadow baby are a subject of study uh, in our in our Discord. So, <laughs> a deep uh, study, a really deep study, if you know what I mean. Well, it's like that. It's like that old old pagan idea. You know, the point of orgasm is like when you're closest to God. So that's why mm-hmm. women are holy. And the womb is holy because that's where God is. So you have like the Christian interpretation, which like demonizes the woman and like she is the fall of everything. So it's like, yeah, that's interesting. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The womb is magic is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, it's something. They, they are doing that absolutely here. And that's mm-hmm. part of why Davos is so afraid of, of Melisandre absolutely. and that hangs throughout this whole chapter. Stannis, though, he does smile faintly when Davos appears, saying that the sea has returned his night of fish and onions. He commands Davos to rise from his knee and says that he was in need of good counsel. And he asks Davos then fucking like trick questions the moment he comes in. He's like, what is the penalty for treason? <laughs> Davos is like, shit. <laughs> really, it's this kind of day. Are you not a traitor, Stannis? <laughs> right. You killed your own uh, brother, but whatever. Whatever, though. Yeah, he, he's kind of, a, you know, growing up, I remember my mom used to tell me that, you know, my dad had selective hearing. And I'm like, hmm, I get it now. <laughs> Stannis has some selective hearing and selective thinking. And the exact passage is actually really interesting, what Davos thinks. The word hung in the air. A frightful word, thought Davos. Was he being asked to condemn his cellmate or himself, perchance? Kings know the penalty for treason better than any man, right? They have it memorized. <laughs> they literally make the rules. And this is kind of like you, Chloe, you know, being like, I don't what? make the rules. And I'm like, but you do. What? You do. <laughs> That's Excuse the thing me? about Stannis. He's like all about the rules. And then he's like, I'm king, but then rules. <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean, though? You're king. <laughs> You're king. That's the uh. point, dude. 
Uh, yeah, there's a lot of that because Davos here is like treason. Huh, interesting. And Stannis is like, yes, I'll define it for you. And he says, it's when you deny your king and seek to steal his rightful throne. So Davos is like, oh, yeah, that one. That's death. You're talking about Alistair, what he did. And Stannis goes through this huge spiel. And it's a little revisionist in its history. I'm just saying that this one was like a New York Post or maybe like Huffing. You know, like, I don't know. You could get it from some places. He's like, I'm not a cruel man. It's not my decree, even before Aegon the Conqueror's Day. And then he lists all these people that have committed treason, like... Damon Blackfire, the Brothers Toyne, Vulture King, Grand Maester Harith, even Rhaenyra. And he says, and I quote, She was daughter to one king and mother to two more, yet she died a traitor's death for trying to usurp her brother's crown. Interesting, because you just described the secession that it should have been instead of the Dance of Dragons. But I, I digress. <laughs> Uh, the, the most hysterical part about all of that is, like, Rhaenyra's story, as we all know, closely mirrors Stannis's more than Aegon II. Straight down to his green brother. He's refusing to look at his own face. He In this very chapter, he's like, well, you know, we have to follow this super old tradition. But also, don't worry, Davos. I can make new lords. Which one is it, homie? Pick one. You know what I mean? Fucking pick one. And, like... This is our first mention of Damon Blackfire, and yes, Damon Blackfire was a usurper, I get it, but, and maybe this is my maturity in ASWAF at this point of my life, but I'm like, you know, he might not have done an awful job. You know, <sighs> here's the dumb thing about Stannis. He thinks he's not a usurper because he feels like he has a right to the throne, but every usurper feels like they have a right to the throne. <laughs> like, That's what are true. you doing right now? <laughs> You're literally yeah. trying to usurp the throne, committing He's treason different. against the crown. So that's different. <laughs> the red lady tells me I'm Azor High. So. I'm different. I'm special. I'm the princess from so. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. <laughs> oh, the stand flake. So yeah, like thousands, thousands got to die. You know, burning up horrible deaths because I want to be king. Yep, exactly, exactly. That's that's a great point. He's like, they're usurpers. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> not me. Uh, yeah, and I, I just, like, I'm not convinced that, you know, for all his studying, I'm like, did Stannis really pay attention? Everyone that talks about how smart he is, but I'm like, I don't think he paid attention in his history lessons. I've never gotten the Stannis love, ever. I'm sorry if there's people out there that just really like Stannis. I've always just kind of thought, this guy's kind of an idiot asshole that should kind of lighten up a little bit. <laughs> I agree, because he's like, as as we said, you know, he doesn't seem to understand how he's maybe a bit more like Rhaenyra than mm -hmm. Aegon II in this whole thing. And also, I'm just like, does he know that there was more than one Vulture King? He acts like, oh yes, the Vulture King. I'm like, there were like fucking five of them. <laughs> and also the Brothers Toy. And like the whole point, I think, yeah. is kind of like, I don't know, they weren't really trying to steal like Aegon IV's throne. They were trying to get revenge for his brother who was killed for sleeping with Aegon's mistress, not even his wife. And I'm like, Which they were kind of justified. Yeah. He doesn't know history. I think he's just like smart and rigid and he has, he has like certain tactical skills. So people think, oh, that means like he's really, really intelligent. But no, he's just like kind of stoic and rigid. And, you know, he's not like, he's not, a, he's not smart. You know, I feel like Tywin Lannister is smart. He's also just bending it to his will. You know? Yeah. Uh, he's kind of like, yeah, this happened, which means I should be king. 
You know, like, it doesn't really actually matter what the moral of the real story was for Rhaenyra, which was war is bad and the small folk are suffering and you have a feudal contract to uphold that you have to help people because you get all the fucking riches of this country and you provide all the innovation, all the production, you know, like, you're the person in charge of this place and your bottom line is looking shitty right now and you don't care. And, like, that was the point. While the dragons dance burnt the land, like... What about the people that died that had no part of it? Absolutely. That's why Stannis is in Azor Ahai. Like, yeah. he's he's on yeah. Dragonstone, and it sucks. Like, I mean, I mean, and then he's like, everyone's dying, and it sucks. He doesn't, he does not care one bit about the small <laughs> at folk at all. Yeah, he really like, doesn't. I mean, Danny goes and lays her hand on the sick and dying and like washes them like Jon Snow like lets the wildlings through the wall like what is Stannis done for the people it's all about him yep. it's all about yes. him and his own ego and his legacy it's me 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 and that is not a hero so yeah mm-hmm. he cares for one single small folk just one yeah <laughs> <laughs> and that's cause he he totally like fluffs up Stannis's ego Mm-hmm. And I mean, he he's trying to push that narrative here right now. He's like, you know, it's established law, not <laughs> cruelty. I would I would never. And Davos is like, shit. I really pity Alistair, my cellmate, right now. And he's like, but I'm pretty pretty glad that it is not me right now. And he's like, hmm, I should probably shut up. But he speaks up anyway in defense of Alistair, saying that Alistair is a good man and that Florent didn't mean to commit treason. And Stannis tells him, well, you know what? Shireen's my only child and he tried to sell my rights for a bowl of peas porridge. The king's voice was thick with anger. My brother had a gift for inspiring loyalty, even in his foes. At Summerhall, he won three battles in a single day and brought Lord's grandison and Carafin back to Storm's Inn as prisoners. He hung their banners in a hall as trophies. Carafin's white fawns were spotted with blood, and Grandison's sleeping line was torn near in two. Yet they would sit beneath those banners of a knight, drinking and feasting with Robert. He even took them hunting. These men meant to deliver you as Ares to be burned. I told him after I saw them throwing axes in the yard. You should not be putting axes in their hands. Robert only laughed. I would have thrown Grandison and Carafin into the dungeon, but he turned them into friends. Lord Carafin died at Ashford Castle, cut down by Randall Tarley whilst fighting for Robert. Lord Grandison was wounded on the trident and died of it a year after. My brother made them love him, but it would seem that I inspire only betrayal, even in mine own blood and kin, brother, grandfather, cousins, good uncle. He's so bitter. He's so mad. Little petty too, right? Like I know. Never forget to slight, real or imagined. That's Wait, true. that's Cersei. Shit. Let uh, it go. I know, and you know he uh he looks these men just thinking like treason. They've all committed treason against my brother and Eliana. I just want to outline these are the men that we've been mentioning that you and I always go about it, and I'm like, you don't remember them, and you're like, what guys? So I feel like if we didn't contribute to the bit today, it would be doing a dishonor. But yes, those are the guys that Robert brought up off their knees instead of, you know, like burning them alive. It's yeah. done in the name of the Lord of the Light. Uh, and let's talk about treason. This word is mentioned 180 times in the main five books in Duncan Egg. Uh, and the world of ice and fire. Donate to a search of ice and fire's PayPal. Maybe fire and blood will go up. 
right? That would be pleasing for me. It would make my <laughs> life so easy. But it's also mentioned 39 times in Fire and Blood, because spoiler alert, Fire and Blood, if you haven't read it, has a lot of treason. But by the time we lead up to this in a storm of swords, we have such a great amount of treason going on. Barring Cersei, which she thinks everything is treason, right? She's like, treason. give me more wine. Ma'am, you're cut off. Treason. Treason. <laughs> it's it's a little much, girl, you know. But a Game of Thrones leading up to where we are now. Ned's treason against Joffrey's claim to the throne. And then we have Barristan Selmy's display of treason in the throne room. That's what it's called when we get to John 8. In A Clash of Kings, Renly's treason and usurping Stannis, which Stannis does say he paid for his treason with his life. And we have Penrose's treason in not yielding the boy or the castle. Stannis accuses the Lannisters of incest and treason, I'll give him that one. And Tyrion arrests Pycelle for treason against the small council's plans and the Hand of the King's plans. So those are the most prominent treasons we have leading up to a storm of swords. And, okay, maybe like two of those are treason, right? Uh, most of the people executed for treason or like punished for treason in the story up to this point were mostly wrongfully executed. So it really tickles me that Stannis is like, men who commit treason must pay the lawful price and I have to uphold the price because those laws are made by men who arbitrarily pay attention to them for their own purposes and their own reasons and their own ambitions because the treasonous men are threats to revealing that the men trying to become lords suck. And also, Stannis, you are committing treason right now. Yeah. I just, I just gotta yes. remind you that. <laughs> yeah. There is no DNA test in Westeros. I'm sorry, Stannis. Stannis like has extreme, like also middle child syndrome, where he just like oh, everyone yeah. in the family hates me and the black sheep. I mean, he kind of is because I bet he like sucks to be around too. It's like, oh my god, Stannis <laughs> again. It's a reinforcing cycle where he's like, everyone hates me, and it's like, well, if you keep complaining about everyone hating you. We're going to get annoyed. I know. I mean, you <laughs> chopped up. Davos like saved you your life and you chopped his fingers off. I mean, you're lucky that That's you have true. this guy. He's so. an annoying little fuck. Holy shit. Hall monitor vibes. He's like extreme oh hall God. monitor. Oh my God. Imagine a 21 year old comes up to you right now and is like, I'm going to chop your fingers off. Thanks for the onions. <laughs> they did kind of make him hall monitor esque, right? In School of Thrones. Remember that? Yes. Uh, it's like, why did I save you? If I was Davos, I'd be like, I should have just kept my onions and just stayed. Oh, just rode on, you know? Just kept I would have still had all my fingers, you know? It is weird that he's like, hmm, yes, the cutting off of my fingers is what inspires loyalty in me. And, you know, Stannis just doesn't get what inspires loyalty in other people, right? Like, it, the entire chapter is kind of dancing around this idea a couple of times of what is it that makes people lay down their own lives and safety for others. And it's not like duty. That, that's not no. inspiring. It's not people being like, I fucking deserve it because. And then he just leaves a blank <laughs> because like my brother died and therefore I deserve it. And everyone's like, uh. And like the reason people fought for Robert is they believed in him. He was someone that they actually got to know and understand as a person. He was someone to fight for. Or like you could go the Tywin Lannister route and inspire fear in others. But either way, like, there's an emotional, like, sort of stimulus that causes it. And it, Stannis inspires neither it's in the people it. who fight for him. Granted, he does inspire fear for some on the other side. But it's not just, like, that Robert had this incredible gift, I think. It's that he was really able to show who he was as a person to these people. And they could see something symbolized in his cause, right? He was threatened by Ares directly, who was like, I want that man's head. Mm -hmm. And they themselves were being oppressed by Ares's regime, 
right? And Mm -hmm. so they're all in the same idea together, fighting for the same vision of a more merciful future versus Ares' terrifying one of like, yes, I think justice is, um, fire is my champion and everyone is treason. Yeah, because what is Stannis fighting for? Right? (laughs) I mean, (laughs) he's causing the problems. (laughs) You know what I mean? I'm sure the small yeah. folk would like much rather just be like, hey, can you guys like stop fighting and like burning our villages? Yeah. And can you guys just like chill? Like, you know some what I mean? Some bread, some health care. He's not fighting <laughs> to change the world to make it a better place because the, uh, because the, I mean, sure, the leaders are awful, but I mean, they're not any more awful than they've been for like, as far as the small folk are concerned. I mean, the bad thing that's been happening recently is the freaking wars. It's like, <laughs> can everyone please chill? Stop fighting. Yeah, and it's obvious he's not very charismatic, right? We know this, obviously. Stannis is not very charismatic in that regard. He has his moments, right? Like, there is a moment in this chapter we'll talk about that I think is a very, I don't want to say positive, but it's above neutral of a moment for Stannis for me. It's like a moment where I'm like, wow, Stannis, you almost aren't awful here. And (laughs) we see that, like, having a little vulnerability with your people goes a very long way. Daenerys and... Or her court are close, right? Like she regards them very the closely. Ned, it. yes, Ned feasts a different man all the time before he joined this. So of course, people wanted to aid Robert's cause. Of course, they wanted to say, "Oh, yes, that gallant, nice young boy, Ned with the plain face." You know, he's a good boy. Uh, of course, they were more than just you know just soldiers or servants to yes, Robert yes. and to Daenerys. These are humans. You know, yes. she she didn't see slaves; she saw people, enslaved people. So it's like, uh, I don't know. Stannis just, uh, I don't know. Stannis doesn't see anyone. Doesn't see anything. He has no vision. Yeah, Daenerys turns around her her entire campaign to be Mm -hmm. like, well, we're going to do this now. For you. We're going to free these people. Yeah. They do it for her. They're fighting for her. Like, Stannis' people are not fighting for him. (laughs) No. Yeah, they're fighting because they know where the spoils will be at the end Mm -hmm. of the war, Mm -hmm. whether they lose or win. They'll find them. They'll change sides. Broken man. I mean, that's the whole point mm-hmm. of the whole thing. The whole the whole thing. <sighs> well, we have Lord Axel Florent dancing around Stannis during this, being like, well, give me the chance to lead, boss, and I'll be the best hand of the king in the universe. But Stannis shrugs him off, and he's like, I'm talking to Davos. And he tells him the losses, and he's like, loyal men waste their days drinking, gambling, licking their wounds. And Axel is, of course, over Stannis' shoulder, saying, Victory will cure their problem, King Stannis, and the king, his mouth twists. He's like, Axel, why don't you tell your plan to Davos? Tell the whole class what you plan to do. So Axel proposes to use Salador's fleet and put the men who are still alive from the Blackwater, probably exhausted, uh, out there to punish Lord Keltegar for his defection put his castle and his people to the torch, burn it down, and then the Lysine pirates will take loot from the castle because, of course, Claw Isle has beautiful famed loot from across the Narrow Seas. And Kraken they'll be paid horn, off and happy. baby. Right. Euron's got that Kraken horn. He's going to get it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's, that's another one of my crack pottery theories because he's headed that way. <laughs> yes. I don't think it's that crackpot. Kraken horn, baby. I think it's real. I think it's real. Yeah. I do. I want it. Uh, <laughs> imagine the calamari also from that. Oh, um, delicious. <laughs> enormous. That could feed. That could feed a lot of small folk. Yeah, exactly. Me. Slade Kraken. You won't be the hero. He brought <laughs> everyone Kraken. Well, <laughs> What's Kraken? That's what. That's, that's how they survived the winter. Uh, 
That's the oh, my twist. oh my god! They'll just dry Wait. out the crack in me. Mm, that's actually a good idea. That's, that's not... how could they could feed Westeros. They could feed me. Oh my god. This is how we're gonna do it. <laughs> Man, what if people did do that? That would be amazing. Um, but instead, you know, we're going with the Axel and the Florence strategy, yeah. right? Where they're like, yeah, we're gonna go punish small folk for no fucking reason, which is what delayed their assault so on the Blackwater in the first place. Because they were like, yeah, let's just harass the fisher folk for no fucking reason. So and also, when they're in the north and trying to get to Winterfell, they're like, mm, let's just stop and burn people. That sounds fun. So ridiculous. And I mean, the saddest part about it is that at the very beginning of the chapter, Davos is like, I hope Salador didn't sell me out. But this is like, this is a little worse than selling Davos out. Not only did he not sell Davos out, but money pays for status. We know Salador is pissed because he has no money. He spent all his money on this stupid war where he's lost shit and gotten nothing. And he's not a native to Westeros, and that's inhibited him in many ways. He's looked at as a vessel, right? His vessel, his ship's. So of course he's going to try to find work to get the money back for what he's lost, but working with Axel to get vengeance against some old man, that's a pretty shitty betrayal, not just for Davos, but for me. I'm betrayed, right? Like, I'm like Salador, man. I thought we were cool. I, I always we knew what cool. Salador was. It's all about I that guess. money. It's all yeah, about his money. Some people are like that. Some people are like that. Sure. Yeah, I, I always knew he was a he was a cool color for dude, but I, I always knew at the end he'd be like, you know... Where's my money? <laughs> so or something out there like water thinner than water. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Gold is thicker than water, though. There's that. That's true. <laughs> and thicker than blood. Mm -hmm. Stannis tells Davos to speak truly, then, of what he thinks about Axel's fantastic plan. And Davos <laughs> hesitates, thinking of uh, Sir Axel's threats and promises. And then he decides, you know what, I'm going to tell the truth. This plan is shit. He calls it cowardice. <laughs> And Axel begins to shout at Davos, and Stannis just silences him, and is like, Davos, go on. Davos tells him, well, there are no Lannisters on Claw Isle, and Lord Keltigar is an old unman, and he wants to end his days in the comforts of his castle, as do all of us. And Lord Keltigar came when Stannis called, when you asked for his ships and swords, and he stood with Stannis at Storm's End, and then sailed on the Blackwater. And... I love this picture that Davos actually paints of the people of Claw Isle for Stannis and Axel because he's really telling his own story of what happened at the Blackwater in many ways. He says, His men fought for you, killed for you, burned for you. Claw Isle is weakly held, yes, held by women and children and old men. And why is that? Because their husbands and sons and fathers died on the Blackwater. That's why. And I'm just like, yes, this is Davos literally describing what happened to his family and his sons that died for Stannis, and Axel's like, you know what, let's just destroy them even more so that some men can taste victory on what's left behind by those who have been defeated. Yeah, it kind of highlights what's so sad about Blackwater. You know, Stannis leading all those men to their deaths, and Melisandre yeah. at least saw some of it, you know. I feel like Melisandre could have been watching from the flame while it was happening, honestly. But yeah, um... It just highlights like, how it. sad it is. Can you imagine when the chain comes up and they're all trying yeah. to go back? It's like, oh, we're fucked. Jesus. The moment the chain comes up and you're like, fuck, we calculated this all wrong. And then and you'll like never see your up. family again. Yeah. yeah. Horrible. Davos says Axel proposes that we want to sweep down, rape their widows, and put their children to the sword. But 
the small folk, they're no traitors. And Axel argues, he's like, some of them are, not all the men who were slain, but Kelthgar's no men choice. bent the knee. Exactly, and that's exactly what they discuss. He's like, they had no choice. And he says, every man has choices. They might have refused to kneel. Some did, some died for it, yet they died true men and loyal. And Davos says, some men are stronger than others. Stannis butts in and he's like, nah, nah, objectively, yes, they have to die for their rightful king. That is the whole thing. And then he says, which I think is an important note of the whole entire chapter, even if the lord he serves proves false. Davos takes some notes there just in case, right? Even if your lord proves false, you're supposed to serve him loyally. A little bit of hypocrisy, which Davos then calls him out for. And he's like, oh, like you remain loyal to Ares when Robert raised his banners? Mm, little messy, Stannis, little messy. Yes, he's he's a huge hypocrite, and it takes Davos pointing that out to him, because he does hold people to different standards than he holds himself. Anybody yeah, that's that's, that's so like locked into a certain like mindset is going to be a hypocrite, because yeah. you have to you have to evolve for different situations. Every situation is different, so you know, of course, he's a hypocrite. Uh-huh. Yeah, Axel is pissed about it, right? Because he's like, that's treason, what you're saying. That's treason. And Stannis is like, all right, get out of here, Axel. Sends him away. And once Axel is gone, Stannis warns Davos, I can shorten your tongue. And Davos is like, it's your tongue to do with as you please, your grace. Okay. <clears throat> it's kind of lewd. Uh, <laughs> Fifty Shades of Grey, Stannis Baratheon, the character. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but it pleases Stannis for Davos to tell the truth. He says, as bitter oh, as it? it is, it pleased him. Oh as yeah, bitter as it oh, is. I know. I'm like, <laughs> this is one of those things you take out of context. I'm like, what is this? What's happening here? <laughs> what are they talking about? <laughs> it's a little too, a little different kind of hot going on in there. Um, this is less sexy though. Talking about uh, the ownership. Well, I don't know. It depends uh, over Davos. Not gonna talk about what people are into it, uh, regarding that, but <laughs> regarding the threats that Stannis makes to Davos's body and his tongue, uh, it brings to mind, of course, uh, our friend Lo has been talking about Foucault a lot, uh, but Foucault specifically book Discipline and Punish and the discussion about treason being a crime against a sovereign body, uh, which could help explain, you know, why they're like, yeah, people have to die for this, regardless of the the spectrum, right, of where their crime falls or why tongues get cut out. To quote. Besides its immediate victim, the crime attacks the sovereign. It attacks him personally, since the law represents the will of the sovereign. It attacks him physically, since the force of the law is the force of the prince. Then Foucault quotes Mouillard de Boulan, who is a legalist uh, or something, law expert during the 1700s, who says, For a law to be enforced in this kingdom, it must necessarily have emanated directly from the sovereign, or at least been confirmed by the seal of his authorship. So Foucault discusses the law as being an extension of the king's body, so any violation of the law of any sort is therefore considered something sort of treasonous, and therefore must be punished uh, vengefully on, on the criminal's body. And so part of what I think those who followed Robert loved so much about him was that he wasn't like Ares, right? Ares cut out Ilan Payne's tongue for allegedly saying treasonous things. He was just like, Tywin's the real power, right? Tywin's it's doing a good job. Fuck you. 
<laughs> yeah yeah Aries was like I don't like that I don't like people saying things like that and it's so it's interesting to me that Stannis threatens to cut out Davos's tongue but at least you know he does differ from Aries in that he's like I would rather you tell me these hard truths though uh and and Aries didn't I'm giving Ares some cookies yes yeah but all of that has to kind of end though you know, all of this cutting out tongue stuff. Like, I feel like anyone that's, like, constantly being like, I'm going to cut out your tongue. It's like, hey, maybe, like, maybe you shouldn't be following this person. Like, maybe you need to find someone better to serve. Yeah. yeah. Honestly, I've never fully understood why Davos just fought, loves Stannis so much. Has he seen something in this man that he's just holding on to? Because I feel like Stannis just has so many flaws that it's just like, oh, God. Him? And then what he does, like, we know what he does after this. So it's like, whoa. So honestly, going back to the, what Axel or Alistair says, you know, <laughs> you will betray him. You know, I think, I yeah. think, I think you will. I but do anyway. think that's what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk about that specifically at the end of Davos's arc, obviously, because you can't give away your hand all at the front of the whole entire story. But I think it's mm-hmm. pretty obvious that Davos has to deflect. I mean, he's given everything he can. And the only reason why in this chapter, which he is sitting here kind of horrified by half and half of what's going on. He's like, all right, you're still kind of being a hypocrite, boss. Uh, and here he he kind of gets rebolstered because Stannis comes out and he's like, we'll make new lords, you know, you're the lord now. And it gives him a little inspiration. But as we get through this, the focal point of the end of the chapter is not on Davos becoming lord. And I think that says something. Mm. Mm-hmm. Oh, that is interesting. Yeah. We set off on this monologue from Stannis about how hard it was to choose between King Aerys II, his liege, or of course his blood, his brother Robert. And he talks about King Scab, Aerys, and how that throne was murderous, right? Magor was murdered by it. And Stannis thinks, I don't know why my brothers wanted it so badly. Or you question mark also uh (laughs) question mark he gives us one of the biggest lines that everybody likes to run with to claim that he's not going to burn his daughter it is not a question of wanting the throne is mine as robert's heir that is law after me it must pass to my daughter unless selice could finally give me a son rhaenyra question mark rhaenyra question mark Anyways, he says he needs to drain the swamp of all of the Westerosi scum that's been growing there, starting with Cersei and her abominations, and the conversation comes to Jaime. He says that Robert should have stripped the white cloak from Jaime and set him to the wall as Lord Stark urged, and he said that instead Robert listened to John Aaron. And then he says my new favorite line of the entire series, I was still at Storm's End, under siege and unconsulted. I was under siege and unconsulted. Oh my god. Jesus, Stannis, have some fucking self-respect. Fuck. Oh my goodness. Grow a spine, kid. Stannis, no one Stannis, asked Stannis. me. <laughs> he acts like, and it's just so obvious what he wants, right? And and he can't say it. He doesn't know how to say it to even himself. Unconsulted. Um unbelievable he's so bitter and hurt by everything in the past that's why it's just like so rigid it's almost like almost like a Taiwan kind of rigidness but like Taiwan is way less pathetic than Stannis I feel like Um, but (laughs) he wasn't he didn't complain that no one respected him because he He got respect like people respected Taiwan I mean I feel like Taiwan is kind of what Stannis was trying to be 
trying to be like Tywin. Is what he wants to be like. He wants to have that level of respect and fear, and people just do what I say because I'm in charge of this. But like, no one ever respected him, so he could never grab onto it. And he definitely envied the way Robert inspired loyalty, and he was so bitter that Rinley had, was able to amass such a large army, and that Rinley had like, was is he's like he's like this is mine, Rinley? Why? That's why he's like he he feels bad about killing Rinley. But it's also that level where he's like, yeah, you were taken. It was my turn. Well, yeah. It's that bitterness. (laughs) He has to justify it for himself uh, Mm -hmm. because he can't live with it. And I think in this chapter, he is tempted to go Tywin root, right? With the Claw Isle plan. Mm -hmm. That feels a little reminiscent of... Burn the villages, burn the farm. Yeah, it feels very reminiscent of those Lannister uh, sorts of things with like what happened to the... What happened to House Rain. Oh, yeah. Shit. Yeah. But... Even though, like, Stannis is tempted to start going the fear route, which I think he, every now and then he tries to do it, what he ultimately wants is that Robert route with the with the love, because I think that the speech is kind of like his so many vows, they make you swear and swear, especially in coming up with the whole, like, Ooh. Ares or Robert, which one did he end up picking? And also, like, a Jamie chapter comes right after this one, so that's why it's really interesting that he's like, Robert should have stripped the cloak from Jamie, and... It's a similar dilemma, right, that Jamie faced in that moment, too. It's simultaneously his family, right, because Tywin's coming in and he was told to bring Tywin's head and his duty. And also the question of the deaths of thousands versus the death of one man and his own honor when it comes to the Edric Storm stuff in a second. And I think it's also the same dilemma. It keeps coming up in the story, right, that Aemon faced and, and tells John of what is honor compared to a woman's love, what is duty against the feel of a newborn son in your arms or the memory of a brother's smile and you know Stannis keeps saying he doesn't want the throne but like nobody fucking tries that hard unless they really fucking want it he wants it he does he might not want power or kingship in the way that someone like Axel does but he wants it in that he wants someone to finally be like yes Stannis good job you did it you deserved it he wants to be seen that's that middle child syndrome that's why I think I've related to Stannis I'm a middle child so I feel like oh you're kind of invisible but like he he wants to be seen and he feels like this is the way that I can finally be seen like I'm not like the big badass with the axe like Robert and I'm not like the pretty boy like like Rinley but if I am king then everyone has to do what I say and look at me and respect me and Mm -hmm. see me absolutely that's what's happening I think and you didn't do what Stannis does, and that's why you're on this podcast, and we like you. <laughs> Unlike yeah. how no one likes Stannis, the stewing and the bitterness, like everyone. Yeah, hey, hey, hey. yeah. <laughs> despite being a middle child, not yeah. an attractive trait at all. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, and you know, like you said, he wanted people to see him and love him, and that's why, like everything in the speech, he never he never lets up on the whole Robert thing, right? Because yeah. he wants. He's chasing Robert's love this whole time. That's why he's chasing Robert's chair. That's why he's like, oh, we can't say that. He he keeps saying that Robert loved him little or that like he wants Beloved striked out of that letter. And he nurses those grievances, right? He yeah. thinks that Dragonstone was a dishonor and it wasn't. Robert was just a jock and didn't really think about it. He's like, this yeah. is cool, right? You can have Dragonstone, the old, the old Targaryen thing. And really, you get like the yeah. Storms End thing that we've been had for forever. Yeah. Like, yeah. like, Stannis, you got the cooler castle. Dude, I would have yeah. loved... I know Dragonstone looks so crappy in the show, but the book version of Dragonstone yes. with the dragon towers and all that stuff. Yeah, so Aegon's cool. Garden. 
Oh my it looks God. cool when Danny gets there. It does. Yes. It does look cool. I can't cool. wait. I love I that bridge wait. thing they gave in the show when she's like walking yeah. across it. That was cool for sure. But that I miss all the dragon good. towers and like the gargoyle. The throne. The freaking dragon throne. Oh yeah. And and the root. Like all the rooms like look actually like super cool. Yeah. yeah like you're in a dragon's mouth and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Stannis is chasing after the memory of a brother's smile. And oh. he doesn't know. No, he sure doesn't. Well, Stannis does want the truth for once. He never asks for the truth, but from Davos. And this time he wants the truth about Davos murdering Melisandre. And he's like, Davos, this is not her for once, lol. <laughs> like, he's like, this is not her fault. She she wasn't there, you know, curse the imp, the pyromancers, Imri, curse me, which Davos refuses to, as we know, uh, but not Melisandre, because she remains faithful, and Davos is like, hey, you had a faithful servant once, his name was Maester Crescent, and Melisandre mm. killed him, but again, he's like, no, he killed him, idiot, which is actually true for once he's again, right. Stannis making points, like, Davos, Melisandre you're pissed, yeah, no, don't blame her, don't at her, it's not okay. Uh, Stannis says she had no more part in it than I did, and Davos is surprised. Stannis is like, all right, good. Well, now that you're settled on that, listen, the boy is sick. Pylos has been leeching him, which all sounds kind of good for a second. Davos is like, wait, is this Devin, my son? And Stannis says, no, no, no. Devin's a good boy. He's fine. He has a lot of you, too much of you, actually, in him, Davos, but it's my... My brother's bastard. Robert's bastard. <laughs> Edric Storm is sick. The boy, because he doesn't say his name, as we know. And Davos says, ah, I met him in Aegon's garden. And Stannis immediately sighs. And he's like, as she wished, as she saw, referring to Melisandre. He asks if Edric charmed Davos, because he would have learned that gift from Robert, who Edric worshipped. Stannis says Edric forgets that he's bastard-born, Growing up with the gifts of swords and cloaks and ponies and that Varys, the spider, made sure to remind Robert of the boy's existence and birthday every year. Can Friendly you imagine was no saying such a thing? The boy forgets that he is bastard born. I'm like, what? Who the what fuck does that cares, right? <laughs> like, Bitch, who cares? I'm bastard born and I'm cool as fuck. Most of us are. <laughs> yeah! Shut the fuck up. He's so salty. He's like, how dare he have a birthday? <laughs> how dare he? I didn't get birthdays. <laughs> uh, he could have thrown his own birthdays if he wanted. I, I mean, know. That's... You could have had awesome parties, Stannis, with cake, balloons, Ponies. whatever you wanted. You could have made it happy. Babies. You could have made your life into something beautiful, but you just chose to stew in your own bitterness and then kill your own brother with dark magic. So, yeah, you deserve what's happening, kind of. You're a kinslayer. Now all you have are titties. <laughs> and then he he's still super bitter about it, right? He talks about how Renly was no better than Edric and that Edric was just raised by the Castlins and the Maesters. And then Stannis says that they were victim to his charms and that Penrose had rather died than give him up. And I'm like, A, it's Robert's ghost, but I'm just like, maybe they just like actually loved Edric. Yeah, this is victims to his charm. <laughs> like, oh what? my god, he's not manipulative. He's just a boy, and they loved him because he grew Fucking up there. 12. Yeah, yeah, that's just that's that means like they Robert. liked him, Stannis. Victims to his charm. <laughs> oh my god, it's like it, we're reading another series, historic materials, and he's like, I see him as like the Lyra of and and Storm's End as yeah. Jordan College. Oh, oh my yeah. goodness. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, 
he's just a boy. Shit. And and that's reiterated, right? Because then he goes, you know what? Okay, again, I have to give Stannis, like, one whole prop here. Because he says, how could he think I would hurt the boy? I chose Robert, did I not? When that hard day came, I chose blood over honor. But Davos thinks he does not use the boy's name. Davos hopes that Edric is going to recover. Uh, and Stannis is like, yeah, yeah, it's a chill. No more. He coughs, he shivers, he has a fever, he'll be fine, Pylos will set him right, and, you know, he by himself he's nothing, but he does have my brother's blood. As as she said, there's power in King's blood. And Davos knows who she is, and he knows who the boy is, right? He doesn't need these decodings. Stannis shows him the painted table, saying, look at my realm, by rights, my Westeros. Stannis calls the Seven Kingdoms folly, and he says, even Aegon saw that as displayed in the table, because there are no borders. It's one realm, one king to rule them all, right? Davos says one king means peace, and Stannis says he'll bring justice to Westeros, which Axel Florent does not understand. Yeah, he doesn't. And I'm just like, honestly, if Stannis gave this speech to people, instead of being like, it's your duty to follow me, if he sold them a vision of peace that he sees in justice, exactly. people might actually want to follow him. That's what inspires people. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, this hypocrisy in this next part, too. Stannis agrees that the Celtigar plan was evil and that Celtigar must still pay a price. And he's all like, every man shall reap what he has sown from the highest lord to the lowest gutter rat. And some will lose more than the tips off their fingers, I promise you. They have made my kingdom bleed and I do not forget that. You are making your... How many people died for you? Yeah. Like The bl- Battle of Blackwater was Bloody. Bloody. And you will, yeah, so I just, I just like, I just see pure hypocrisy there. Pure hypocrisy. You're continuing Mm -hmm. to make the kingdom bleed. Everyone who is under you is suffering. Nobody is happy (laughs) right now. (laughs) Yeah. Okie dokie, Stannis. I mean, the Asha chapters are pretty damning. Mm -hmm. They are. Just saying. I mean, the Northmen are kind of okay. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, whatever, we're fine. This is normal, walking through the snow. Yeah. The numbers uh, the, of the Southerners who followed him, those are decimated, though, yeah, right? Yeah, just, like, yeah, just dwindled. Are. Yeah, it's like, crazy. Yeah. And he's like, why does no one vote for me? Saying shit like this. <laughs> anyway. He commands Davos to his knees, along with oding his, <clears throat> his tongue, and um, that he knighted <clears throat> Davos once for his onions and fish, and he's of a mind to make him lordly. Davos is smart, because at first he's like, no, that's okay. I'm all right without that lordship, man. I'm good. I'm good. I already lost all my kids. You know what I mean? I'm I'm all right. <laughs> He's like being lordly is false, and uh, Stannis actually says, "Sorry, Stannis says that being lordly is false, which is hysterical." And he commands him to kneel, and we get our first glimpse at Lightbringer, which Melisandre, of course, has told us the red sword of heroes drawn from the fires where seven gods were consumed. The room seemed to grow brighter as the blade slid from its scabbard. Steel had a glow to it. Now orange. Now yellow. Now red. The air shimmered around it, and no jewel had ever sparkled so brilliantly. But when Stannis touched it to Davos's shoulder, it felt no different than any other longsword. There is no heat. It's a glamour. It's a glamour. It is. It's yeah. all fluff. It, it it, it's nothing. It's not real. I, George R. Martin is tell, always tells us that it's not real. In this scene and in future scenes, he's always being like, it's not real. It, it, it's pretty and shiny. Yep. It's not real. Yeah, it's pretty cut and dry. Mm-hmm. 
the Baratheon brothers were chasing things that weren't illusions. You were yeah. so right. Yep. You're one hundred percent right. Like like Robert was was chasing Lyanna, yep. and then and then Rinley was chasing this idea that he could be king, and now Stannis is chasing something. I don't even know. I guess whatever. Yeah, you're right. The All just chasing illusions. They could have had something real if they like looked around them at each other. But they yeah. did. It's the difference of the Starks, right? I will. I, this is this is off topic, but like the fact that Robert thought that Lyanna would just be like this. I'm gonna <laughs> oh, be I your know. wife. Like it's ridiculous. Bitch, you I'd be mad if you were miserable. going to strip clubs every night too. Like come the fuck home, you know. Like we'll make a house here. If you don't want to make a house with me, what's the point? Honestly, Lyanna might have killed him sooner. Lyanna yeah. might have slit his throat at night. You know, we could have had a better Absolutely. realm. <laughs> if he was had his throat slit sooner, yep. Yep. Yeah. Oh, a wolf tore his throat out. I don't know who did it. <laughs> Darn. Uh, the oh, series is that over. That would have been cool. That would have been an interesting way to, <laughs> to say it. I would have loved that story. <laughs> so, Stannis charges Davos with being true. His true and honest siege man, now and forever, serve him loyally, honest counsel, swift obedience, defend his rights. <sighs> Anyways, uh, and his realm against all foes, he tells him to rise as Davos Seaworth, Lord of the Rainwood, Ad- Admiral of the Narrow Sea, and Hand of the King. He just sneaks that last job in there. <laughs> and Davos is like, what? <laughs> Excuse me? I was just in the dungeon. Bitch, now- what? <laughs> I know. Okay, he's like, you can't here. just... You can't just give me that promotion and like he's like the the pay increase is not nearly enough. The benefits are none. <laughs> Too much responsibility for what I'm getting paid, honey. Absolutely. <laughs> he tries to remind him, I'm lowborn, the lords won't obey me, and then Stannis says that line that everyone loves of then we will make new lords. And and Davos is like, I'm quite qualified. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Davos is like, I can't read or write. And Stannis is like, it's fine. Maester Pylos will do these things for you. He's like, my last hand wrote a little just too much. And, you know, (laughs) this is a great job for you. Great for your resume. (laughs) Moving on up. Started in the bottom of Dragonstone. Now the whole team is fucking here. And I... Eliana mentioned it earlier about the Jamie chapter, and I'm glad that she already broke the surface because I didn't want to like be shit posting on the podcast. But Jamie and Brienne get in the prefect's bathroom, take a really hot bath, right? The prefect's bathroom. <laughs> That's all I can think oh of. I mean, it feels like that. Uh, he looks at I her bush. That. It's a whole thing. But the dynamic Davos and Stannis have, and the idea that Davos is down to serve DTS. Down to serve Stannis, DTSS, if you really want to go that far. Uh, and that he stays with that decision, even though he knows Stannis is a shit person and like has caused people to die and all this. Reminds me a lot of Jamie and Brienne and the way Brienne kind of cares for Jamie, even though he's kind of a shitty person when she meets him, right? Uh, even up to when he tells her in the next chapter, you swore a solemn vow. Uh, and even that tension, like, it does have a little sexual tension, as it does with Davos being like, yes, you own my whole fucking life now, Stannis. Where do you um, want me to put this tongue, Stannis? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. You know where. And Jamie, like, in detail describes in the next chapter that the people he swore to serve back in his days and swore to turn the other cheek and look away from, from their crimes, were mad for fire. 
there's a little something there, and I do think that there could even be an echo for Davos's plot, right? Uh, what does what does Jamie do for the woman with wildfire in his in her eyes in his plot, right? What does he do for Cersei? Mm. Abandons her. Maybe Davos still has room to abandon Stannis. Yeah, I mean Jamie does refuse that hand job, so uh, <laughs> if only Davos had refused this hand job. If only. <laughs> <laughs> well. He tries to deflect the title. He does try, you know, and say, maybe someone else should take this. And Stannis recants to him that all he has is Bar Emin, Old Lord Estermont, a six-year-old Valerian boy, and also House Sunglass left uh, when, you know, I burned the other one. <laughs> and uh, he's like, I have good people, but they're also like in places I need them to be, like Gilbert Faring, Lord Morrigan, the Night Song's Bastard, uh, Lords Chittering, and Andrew Estermont remain... But Stannis is like, I want you and your honesty. And Davos decides to give him the honesty craves, which is that his men cannot survive another battle against the Lannisters. And then Melisandre makes her entrance uh, in her silks and satin and has a covered dish in hand. Yeah. Bon appetit. <laughs> Stannis speaks of the great Hi. battle, how the great other gathered troops and of their doom to come... She placed the silver dish on the painted table. Unless true men find the courage to fight it, men whose hearts are fire, Stannis stared at the silver dish. She has shown it to me, Lord Davos, in the flames. You saw it, sire? It was not like Stannis Baratheon to lie about such a thing. Yes, Stannis had seen the ashes drifting white in the fire, but they had turned to snow and a ring of torches circling. The cinders became men in black behind the torches, shapes in the snow. For all the heat of the fire, I felt a cold so terrible I shivered. And when I did, the sight was gone, the fire but a fire once again. But what I saw was real. I'd stake my kingdom on it. And have, said Melisandre. The conviction in the king's voice frightened Davos to the core. So, the first thing that Stannis actually mentions that he sees in this vision is snow with a capital S. Snow. It is the beginning of a sentence, so like that could mean anything, <laughs> but it's pretty clear in Melisandre's chapter, and you know, it just really makes you think. It means a lot. I mean, Stannis is marching. Look, snow, winter, cold, death, and then there's also Jon Snow on top of that. So it's like double meaning. She asks for, mm -hmm. she's she's looking for Stannis, and she sinks snow. Snow is death. Winter is death. Stannis, he's seeing a lot of snow. That's death. Um, and it's also mm. maybe Jon Snow. So I think it's like dual meaning right there. Totally. Yes. Mm -hmm. Like Robert saying, King's popping up from beneath the snow. King's, mm -hmm. Ned. King's out of the snow. <laughs> Ned sweating bullets. <sighs> He's like, that must what be me. <laughs> <laughs> what? It's funny because it all really vaguely reminds me of the Fires of Pompeii episode from Doctor Who. Where you have uh, some, oh some God, seeing yes. into fires. Yeah, bringing it back. I figured you and might the guy, know what I'm talking about. Peter Picaldi, he comes back to play yes. Doctor Who. Because they do and the it's episode. Connected. It, they do connect. He's like, where did I see this face before? They had this whole thing. And I had totally forgotten it. So they hit me like so good with that one. You I was what? like, <gasps> we fucking love fan service. You know, if you do it right, good for you. Mm -hmm. Like, do it right. It's not that Doctor hard. Doctor Who's Go the, on the best internet. at it. Yeah, Doctor Who is so good it. at it. Overall, though. I, I think, obviously, the Night's Watch is pretty obvious, and it also kind of reminds you of the others, and even of, as Danny in a bit here before, mm -hmm. is getting her Unsullied army, right? And mm -hmm. I find Melisandre's push to have Stannis be the one reading the fires and taking accountability interesting. 
uh, kind of making him read it and him take accountability for the decisions he's making, not just so Melisandre can be responsible for it, as he reiterates in this chapter that it's not her fault. He is the one choosing his way. And earlier I mentioned Melisandre kind of reminds me of Melino in Greek mythology, and Melino is a thonic nymph of the underworld cloaked in the hues of saffron, reminiscent of the East, of course, where the spice was first discovered. She's been a bit erased by mythos. Uh, she's been syncretized with Persephone, uh, but she was the daughter of Persephone and Zeus. Zeus was disguised as Hades and raped Persephone to produce her because, of course, the infertility problems rose with Hades. So she was responsible for bringing nightmares and madness to people, buried in imagery not dissimilar to Hecate, this is kind of what Davos sees Melisandre as, as this woman filling Hades' mind with madness and nightmares. But here, with him reading the fires instead of Melisandre, it forces Davos to kind of start to reckon with his god being responsible for his actions. We end up seeing Davos push Stannis to do the right thing through Storm in that reckoning, beginning to make schemes and cover-ups to do what he thinks is the correct thing for his god's regime as we'll see with Edric moving forward and possibly with his decision to bring Rickon back or not later. Melina was born at the mouth of the Kakitas in the underworld where Hermes in the underworld aspect as a psychopomp was stationed. According to him, she brings night terrors by manifesting in strange shadowy forms that are plain to the eye, then shadowy, then shining in the darkness and can drive mortals insane. So the purpose of her point in the hymn is showing Orphic initiate understanding and respecting her nature thereby averting the harm she has the capacity for causing, just like Melisandre. Like, okay, I just wanted to make a comment on, on, on Melanone. I don't, I'm yeah. not familiar with her, but yeah, just an observation. Like, all of the women in Greek mythology have such sad stories. I, I was know. just reading up on Medusa for a video that I'm working mm -hmm. on, and Medusa, in the, in the most terrible version of that myth, she's, she's raped by Poseidon in Athena's temple and then punished by Athena. Because yep. she got raped. Yeah. And then she's turned into this horrifying monster. And then Perseus comes and kills her for no reason when she's minding her own business so he can conquer his enemies. It's like, <laughs> what? Like, why? Yeah. But yeah. Ugh. No, I agree. Mm -hmm. She was so maligned. Yeah. And I, I know that some people like to go with a more optimistic view that Athena might have turned her to protect her. But then I'm like. I have heard that viewpoint, but it's like, what? But but then yeah. why did she help Perseus? Yeah. <laughs> and you turned her into a terror. She right? could never feel, she could never love. She, If she looks you in the eye, you turn the stone. So that's not a, that's not a gift. It's obviously a curse. <laughs> yeah. And the gods just love doing that. The gods suck. That's the moral. Mm -hmm. That was, I think, the moral of all of these. <laughs> Davos attempts to puzzle out the meaning as we attempt to puzzle out the meaning of what happened. To all the women in Greek mythology, and <laughs> Melisandre solves this one for him. It means that the battle has begun, and that man's hour on earth is near done. Thank God. Uh, Westeros must unite under her true king, the prince that was promised, Lord of Dragonstone, and chosen of R'hllor. And Stannis thinks that R'hllor has chosen pretty strangely, mm. wondering why him and not his brothers. And huh, interesting, Davos feels this way like a second ago. Anyways, Stannis admits to seeing Brenly and his peach in his dreams juice running from his mouth but blood from his throat and says that had Renly done his duty they could have defeated Tywin and it would have been a victory and he, he's very clear that it's like a victory that even Robert would have been proud of like interesting mm. and again don't get Santa started on Robert who's also in his dreams who's laughing and drinking and boasting 
You know, uh, Stannis, you also could have cooperated with Renly, you know. I know Renly was just, like, kind of in the wrong, but honestly, if everyone had just listened to Renly, uh, maybe things could have been better. Like, Ned, too. Like, honestly, when Renly had that idea, like, we should just, like, get the fuck out of here. Yeah. I don't know. He should have maybe listened, but whatever. (laughs) Yeah, Renly was like, shit's over, dude. You gotta go. This is it. (laughs) Take the TV and get out. Yeah, bring the Tyrells in, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, Ned was just like, oh, that's cute. Renly likes this girl who looks like Leon. <laughs> they had the best of each other. If they would have just joined up, it would have gone okay, right? Like, you guys have yeah. the halves that the other is missing. You have the military prowess. You have the battle prowess. You have charisma. And, like, neither of you has two brain cells to mm-hmm. rub together. But, I mean, we can try our best. We could have decided who gets to be king afterwards. Like, let's do the thing, and then we decide afterwards who gets to be king. Then we kill exactly. each other. If it was that important, and if it meant that much to uproot the Lannisters, you guys would have done it by now. That's mm. that's the big thing. It's about pride. It's not about the Lannisters. Yeah. It's not about helping the people. It's not about the kingdom bleeding. It's not about any yes. of that. It's all ego. Even beyond that, you know, like how he... If I go, if we go even back more, he could have stood by Robert mm-hmm. Borod, but then he fled King's Landing when John Aaron Absolutely. died. Yeah. Why weren't you there to protect your king? Your brother, yeah. yeah. And then he has, like, the audacity to shit on Ned, which, again, another little Jamie I know, right? Because they both really have a hot slash hate Ned. Like, they're like, I would hate fuck him or get hate fucked by him. I'm not sure which. (laughs) It depends on the scenario. But, yeah, like, they both really hate Ned because of shit that they did. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So. It's like, was it my fault, dude? I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) Well... Melisandre says that Stannis is a righteous man, and he's like, no, I'm a righteous man with leeches, Mel. And she reiterates, hey, I said this earlier, but this this is not the right way. It could work, but it isn't going to really work, and you know how to make it work. Give me the boy. It's a surer way, a better way, and I can wake the stone dragon, which sounds like a great idea for everyone involved. And he says... He is only one base-born boy against all the boys of Westeros and all the girls as well, against all the children that might ever be born in all the kingdoms of the world. I love that there's a lot of ambiguity in this line, right? Just because they use the word boy as opposed to anyone's name. Because it becomes, I think, just as much about Joffrey as it is Edric. Mm-hmm. Maybe even Rob, in some ways. He, he's not baseborn, right? But Stannis does hesitate right before he says his name when he throws the leech in the fire. Mm-hmm. John! Oh, yeah. Also, John. He's I. Right. It's not like we did, like, spent months on I him. I don't know him. Who is he? Uh, Stannis says he's innocent, <laughs> that Edric is innocent, and Melisandre's like, the boy shamed you in your marriage bed. And he's like, no. Again, Stannis is actually, like, seeing yeah. almost clearly, and it's really strange. He's like, Robert did that. And he says, I won't burn the boy. He's friendly with my daughter. Okay. And he's my blood. Okay. Uh, and then we launch into, of course, the beautiful passage that we cannot not read. Your brother's blood, Melisandre said. A king's blood. Only a king's blood can wake the stone dragon. Stannis ground his teeth. I'll hear no more of this. The dragons are done. The Targaryens tried to bring them back half a dozen times, and made fools of themselves or corpses. Patchface is the only fool we need on this godforsaken rock. You have the leeches. Do your work. Melisandre bowed her head stiffly and said, As my king commands. Reaching up her left sleeve with her right hand, she flung a handful of powder into the brazier. The coals roared. A pale flame writhed atop them. The red woman retrieved the silver dish and brought it to the king. Davos watched her lift the lid. 
Beneath were three large black leeches, fat with blood. The boy's blood, Davos knew, a king's blood. Stannis stretched forth a hand, and his fingers closed around one of the leeches. Say the name, Melisandre commanded. The leech was twisting in the king's grip, trying to attach itself to one of his fingers. The usurper, he said, Joffrey Baratheon. When he tossed the leech into the fire, it curled up like an autumn leaf amidst the coals and burned. Stannis grasped the second. The usurper, he declared, louder this time. Balon Greyjoy. He flipped it lightly onto the brazier, and its flesh split and cracked. The blood burst from it, hissing and smoking. The last was in the king's hand. This one he studied a moment as it writhed between his fingers. The usurper, he said at last. Rom stuck and threw it into the flames. Fire. Straight fire. And blood. So ah. creepy. God, the way he describes the black leeches full of blood writhing and trying to attach itself. That is like, oh, get. I wouldn't have even been. So disgusting. Leeches, yeah. I have to say, one of the most terrifying insect parasite animal type things yeah. like oh my god horrifying i have had one on me and it's horrifying it's gross oh no Ugh. yeah oh. it's just thinking i used to go to the lake a lot when i was a kid i had family that had like a lake house and so we would go there i remember when i was really young and i just remember one time getting out of the lake and having these black things on me and leeches freaking out. yeah that happens if you got that's why i'd never anytime we we're like let's go in the creek no because i've seen that like yeah it's disgusting you're like, I know what happened like- last time with leeches. Okay, I know. King's blood. <laughs> and to think that Roose Bolton like is into this and does this like oh, all the time. Freak. It's like his favorite activity. What a freak. Like no. like when we see him in Heron Hall, oh my god. How creepy. Yeah. And leeches are used today. I did some Googling and some modern medicine for us all, and they're used to help heal skin grafts and for treating burns. Wow. Yeah. So, like, yeah. maybe leeches could have helped Shireen's face. I don't know. Maybe, Skin but no thanks. Wow. I'd rather just be disfigured. <laughs> people use, oh my god, people use maggots and stuff, too. For okay, like no, that. that's enough, Eliana. That's, that's enough funny. of that. Okay, that is enough <sighs> of that. Any, like, wormy, crawly things, <laughs> oh. that fire and blood chapter with the Whoa. snakes with hands and faces, like, no. No, no, no. Snakes with hands, yeah. Area, or not that- area, other one. Area, area, not area. This is kind of like. Oh, but the twins. Yeah, yeah. They like, but they whatever. switched. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. it wasn't. Yeah, it was Rayella. Yeah, yeah. It was Rayella, mm-hmm. technically, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. so sad. Gross. Interesting for someone who has a black worm around his heart, though. Yeah. Stannis mm. with his black worm. Mm, black worm, black leech. Yeah, yeah, you're brilliant. Kind of black. Exactly. That's totally. George R. Martin is totally trying to call attention to that, I think. For yeah. sure. That's why he talks about the black worm. And it's trying to attach itself he- to him. And there's a bunch of leeches around him, right? Yeah. Like Axel. I, I mm-hmm. Axel Florence definitely a leech. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And then Stannis, he's being sucked dry too. Yeah. Like he's like withering, like as though a leech oh, is yeah. sucking him and draining That's him. That's a really good point. Yeah. That's true. There's a lot going on. I, I why have I not thought about these leeches more? Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. Well, I guess my big final thought about the episode is about this whole hand job for Davos, right? And how it is positioned <laughs> in the story. It's kind of damning because, as I mentioned earlier, becoming a lord was not the focal point of this story, this chapter. The climax mm-hmm. was the leeches. So Davos now has said yes. 
He has to stand there complicit and watch as Stannis does Blood this, magic. as well as everything else. Like, this was a trick. Stannis was like, hey, you want to be Lord? Cool, stand there and watch some cool shit real quick. And then he does this leech bullshittery. And so that is the actual climax, is the leeches. Davos isn't even involved. He's watching quietly. He's stunned. He has no agency in the moment. What is he going to do? Say, my my king, don't do it. No, because he just watched Axel get thrown out for the same goddamn thing. So he has to stand quietly and watch in horror as they burn these leeches and say the names of the usurpers, which, as we know, yes, Balin Greyjoy sucks, but, like, Rob... Rob's not a bad guy. No. He's just a kid doing what he can. So Davos can only yes. hope that this is just like some bullshit. He's just hoping that like, oh, yeah. So you ladies probably remember this because you've been doing the chapter by chapter. This is before or after the Ghost of High Heart prophecy with Arya. It's Arya 4 and Arya 8. Uh, so this would be first after that? Arya 4 and that's the first meeting of her in Arya 8, I believe, is more of that. And also the Edric Dane chapter and you're going to Shara Dane backstory. Not that I know that for any reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this is before. Mm-hmm. Yes. Interesting. Interesting. So I was just wondering about the succession of magic. So Melisandre does this spell, sends it out, and the ghost high heart, she picks up on it somewhere out there in the ether that there's magic things happening because i look at magic and prophecy in a song of ice and fire as though like there's information there's things out there in the ether just like kind of floating around and there's different methods that people use to like view it so there's fire mm-hmm. there's the weirwood net or whatever there's the green dreams they're all just pulling onto things that are out there just somewhere you know at least that's how i see it if we were thinking about this more in like a esoteric way <laughs> yeah, that's a great. Yeah, I think I I hold a similar philosophy mm-hmm. that it's like are are they necessarily different sources of magic or maybe maybe not, but it's like all looking into the same. And that's why like you have some of the same symbols, right, overrunning like with the forsaken Absolutely. chapters and the and the imagery. Granted it is shade of the evening, but the imagery that Danny sees of the house of the undying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even like I said, we talked about earlier with Melisandre looking through the flames and Blood Raven seeing her through the flames. It's like his stuff is connected to mm-hmm. her. Like it's almost like the streams got crossed. I know we just went way off topic, yeah. but yeah, it's almost like the stream. No. Well, it's not really because we're talking about the leeches, but it's like the streams got crossed almost. And it's like, whoa, what is that? You know, I was thinking about the magic in A Song of Ice and Fire. It's generally like elemental. It's all like nature based, fire, blood, just very like kind of primal thing so it's like all tied into nature even like the children of the forest they talk about when they die they go into the trees and the earth and become a part of everything mm-hmm. and then even like we see Veramir six skins like later he like goes into the werewolf tree and becomes like a part of like the all or whatever it is he's everything at once so it seems like there's this great source that's at the center of everything at the core of their reality at, of their world and then there's different ways that they can pull from it and it's all about the, learning the way to do it and that's what the skill is. Those are all the different skills. I think that's interesting uh, what you're saying, because I know that there's a debate as to whether or not Melisandre, right, like her throwing the leeches in the fire, whether or not she causes mm-hmm. the deaths of these kings or whether she's already seen it in her fires and is putting on this show. And you brought up the ghost of High Heart. And we also, again, like have the, the House of the Undying prophecy before this. And a, a bit ago, Patchface making reference also to the red wedding um in a in the in a davos chapter mm-hmm. so like it, it kind of gives credence to the idea of what you're saying of like she might have just through the fires already just tapped into a vision of all of this considering that everyone is already talking about this event especially around rob mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Melisandre's one of my all-time favorite characters, as you ladies know. Yeah. Like, she's so awesome and cool. But I wonder about her, though. Like, I, 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 I still, I know we're going to get that final moment where we're like, okay, here is, we get a tap of that, like, way later on. But, like, yeah, I, I'm waiting for the moment when it, when shit hits the fan. Because I know there's a specific reason why she's so convinced that Stannis is the one. There has to be. Like, because she's so certain. And I, and I wonder about that. But here, yeah, I tend to... Back to the leeches just for one second. If it comes to whether or not she saw them or whether or not she did it, if I had to choose, I guess I would say that she probably saw it beforehand and then mm-hmm. threw them in because she's telling Stannis that it's not going to work. She's like, this isn't this isn't what we need to do, yada, yada, yada. And she does yeah. it just to be like, okay, I'll say him. Yeah. So it makes a lot more sense if this isn't like a real spell. Mm. It's just like, yeah, I know they're going to die, so this will look convincing. So... Well, that's a we that's part of our trick right as well. chapter. We get that mm-hmm. reveal of the smoke yeah. and mirrors and how, I mean, that's the thing is, like you said, I don't know, she's going to have to do some stuff, but I think, like, Melisandre, yes, absolutely is a gray character, which is so funny since she doesn't believe so, right? Like, she thinks she's mm-hmm. just like, no, no, mm-hmm. I'm white. I am good. There's only good and bad. As we move forward, we'll see the onion scene with the chopping of the onion, right? And some rot of the onion falling off. And guess what? The onion is still good beneath that rot. So mm-hmm. I think that Stannis is going to be a really big learning point for her as well, because she's going to realize, oh, I fucked up. Mm-hmm. Oops. Oops. Yeah. She's going to be a really interesting one for those POVs. I mean, as you said, we learn a lot in that. And she does bust out like the, those powders to put on more of a show mm-hmm. here in this very moment. The ones when she talks about, as you said, those smoke and mirrors. And it's so interesting to see behind the mirror and, and what we're going to get in wins as like more things, you know, test her faith. That's one of the things that the show kind of did right towards the end when they have Melisandre mm-hmm. kind of realizing the mistake. And she just becomes yeah. dejected and you just kind of see like the illusion fade for like a little bit. And you get the sense that this is a very tired person. This is the person that's been working hard yeah. for a really long time and is like just so convinced. And, you know, they just kind of want to rest. <laughs> and I get because <laughs> Melisandre, uh, we don't have to talk. We don't have to. We can get into a whole thing about Melisandre. But yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah <laughs> we, we did. did. We'll link it we below. We absolutely <laughs> did. <laughs> Quinn, it has been a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so Absolutely. much for joining us for Davos. It was a fun reunion about mostly Melisandre, right? Mm-hmm. Again, uh, please tell everyone once more where they can find you on the internet and check out all your stuff and by Tadia. Absolutely, guys. Well, Quinn's ID is all over the place. I'm on Twitter all the time, setting fires and pissing people off. Ah. <laughs> and on YouTube. <laughs> Uh, is the main place you can find me, Quinn's Ideas. Check out my Dune content and other sci-fi. And definitely have a gigantic backlog of the Song of Ice and Fire content going back years and years. So thank you girls for having me. It's been awesome. It's been awesome yeah. to go canon. Thanks for coming on. <laughs> you officially are a girl gone canon now. Congrats. Yay. Oh my God. Yeah. I'm so excited. <laughs> Yeah, check out Quinn's Dune content. My therapist is a big fan. <laughs> I think you told um, me that last time. That's not a joke. Yeah. <laughs> so. It's so hilarious. As mm-hmm. always, you can find us online and check out our social media as well at Girls Gone Canon on Twitter, C A N O N, or shoot us an email if you have questions, comments, concerns, theories, pet pictures. We recently got a great set of pet photos from our friend Sarah, and that is at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com. Yes, or be sure to subscribe to us on many of the other different ways. Maybe these are kind of like different elements that you can 
see the Girls Gone Canon stream of uh, a Google Play, iTunes, uh, Apple, nope, iTunes is Apple Podcasts now, Amazon Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, Acast, Overcast? Yes. All and of if the you're cast. Looking, if you're looking <laughs> for one more place to throw the podcast into your feed, you can check out our Patreon over at patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon, where we also produce extra content. We will have a new patron-only episode for patrons in the Stranger tier and above this month. That is a His Dark Material-themed episode. Look out for that. As always, I have been one of your hosts, Chloe. And I have been another one of your hosts, Eliana. And I've been your guest host. <laughs> no, no, yes. you are. You're another another one of our hosts. He has been another one of your hosts. Yes. Indeed. Who are you? You have to see your I'm name Quinn. again. I'm Quinn. Hi, guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm willing the podcast to Quinn when we die. So oh, yeah. Amazing. I'll still be alive for sure. All right. <laughs> oh wow. Ooh, maybe ooh, coming back how many times? <laughs> At least nine. At least nine. Cats out of the bag. Absolutely. All right.